Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. Welcome to another exciting, uh, what can I say, raw, um, thrilling, <laughs> powerful, informative episode of the Entree Musician podcast. This is the space where we concentrate on the mindset, the discipline, and the focus of the Entree Musician this episode is no exception. I can finally say it. This is the almost end <laughs> of our series entitled You and Your Band. We have this week, we have next week, and then we have a wrap-up. So this is like a third. This is actually third base. I, I've been saying round the bend toward home for a couple weeks now, but we really are it. We can see the light at the end of the rainbow. It's funny because I received a uh, email, or was it a text from a young man who says that he has been following through all of the episodes of this series, and he's decided to be a solo artist. So <laughs> we, we are, I guess, doing well for whatever your decision is, but we have really tried to cultivate a plan for you and your band. If you are in whatever stages, if you're just talking about it or at the stage of conception where you've had a couple of rehearsals or a few meetings about it, we have tried to walk you through all of the processes of what you need to deal with from a band perspective. And we have created this uh, hypothetical group called the Hilarious Bonfire from the Midwest, uh, headed up by uh, Sally. She's the lead singer, and she fronts the band not only on stage but behind the scenes as well. We've been con salting them from, you know, the sidelines and have had a lot of fun doing it, hoping that you too have enjoyed it and have been able to tweak some of the information that we shared with them that we've given advice to, to your specific situation. And today uh, we're going to dive really deep into the complex topic of copyright and publishing. This is a major, major uh, issue and subject that you need to make an incredible uh, priority in your band. As a matter of fact, we could make this into about three or four different episodes, but we won't. We're just going to uh, dive in and give you a thorough analysis as to how you should, as a band, look at copyright and publishing. And uh, although we can go, as I said, really, really deep, we're not going to give you just the little fluff and the surface stuff and the uh, the, the cliff notes, so, so to speak. We, we don't do that here at The Entree Musician. What we try to do is to make sure that everything that we share, every resource that we offer is something that you can really sink your teeth into, that you can really make major decisions about. So again, today is no exception. But before we do that, you know we have to do this because all of our episodes, all of our podcasts, our YouTube channel, the things we do over at theentremusician.com is sponsored by the wonderful people at Vocal. Vocal is the only beverage on the planet which is designed to soothe, refresh, 
and restore your voice. If you talk all day like I sometimes can, or you sing all night, you gotta get yourself some vocal. Go to drinkvocal.com to learn more. Okay, let's dive into this incredible issue or these issues, plural, of copyright and publishing. First and foremost, I want to say, as you well have known, as with previous disclaimers, I am not an attorney and no, I don't play one on TV. I mean, this episode is not intended to give you any legal advice, but merely just to explain important factors about this subject or these two subjects. And should you feel the need to contact legal advisors in these matters concerning copyright and publishing, please look at seeking an entertainment attorney rather than a divorce or criminal law attorney. And that's no disrespect to those professions, but the, um, the advice and the expertise that you can secure from an entertainment attorney would be most advantageous to you. Okay. So that is my formal disclaimer. All right. Now, as to the subject of copywriting your music and the publishing of your music, these are both such extensive topics, but absolutely vital to your band that it would be irresponsible of me to not cover as much as I can offer without boring you to tears, because you can really get into the weeds here. But as with many other topics we have discussed within this series, there are several articles, books, and websites that you can get a hold of and take a deeper dive into these topics. And you absolutely do want to dive deep into these topics because the lifeblood of your band is founded upon your songs. Did you hear that? The lifeblood of your band is found within the heart of your songs, especially if your group is an original act, which most acts are, and of course, which our hypothetical band, the Hilarious Bonfire, is. So you want to pay close attention. Now, a few resources to name, and there are many, but absolutely avail yourself to the book This Business of Music by Kravalovsky and Shemmel. Uh, newer, uh, newer versions have uh, John Gross, who's an entertainment attorney, as a contributor. Uh, stay up on the updates. I love this book. It's like the music business Bible. A second resource is the legal aspects of the music industry by Richard Sullenberg. So these two books on your shelf uh, gives you a wealth of information that you need, especially as we are covering these topics. And I found an extremely comprehensive article uh, called Copyright Law in 2020 Explained in One Page. <laughs> That's the article's title, Copyright Law in 2020 Explained in One Page by Frank Mores. Now, I don't know who Frank is. Uh, I didn't take the time to do uh, any research on him, but the article is absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. And there are other articles out there, but these will get you out of the wading pool and into the deeper waters. So avail yourselves to them. Now, copyright as a definition is simply the legal and exclusive right to copy or allow another person or people to copy a specific work of art or a piece of intellectual property. That's the formal definition. 
it allows you, you're the content creator and you have the right now as the copyright owner to allow someone or many to copy the work that you've created. Now, if you are the copyright owner, then someone else cannot make a copy of your original work, be it a song, be it a painting, a book or poem without your permission. Your copyright, however, can be sold, it can be traded, it can be inherited by others, it's yours, it's your intellectual property, you do with it what you will. And we won't get into the history of copyright, but Frank Moray's in his article, he does an incredible job of laying out these ramifications that initiated why copyright became necessary in the first place. Now again, as the copyright owner, you are the only one who can provide permission of your work to be copied, either as a single copy or through mass distribution. And that is where publishing comes in. But we're not going to get in publishing yet. We're going to unpack copyright, you know, and, and there are a few more components about copyright itself that we must understand. And then we'll, you know, get into publishing. Now, number one is infringement. <laughs> Let's start with infringement. Once you understand that you as a content creator have the right to uh, protect your work and the right to issue a license for someone else to copy it, then infringement happens when someone else either steals your entire song or significant parts of your work and they either claim or use it without your permission. Okay, that's infringement. So you wrote the song, you now hear it on the radio word for word, and you know someone else had access to the song, but they did not have express permission from you. That is infringement. Or someone takes a sample of your song and did not ask you permission of it. Obviously, that is infringement. And let me just say right here, we're not talking about books or poems, although they are included in specific copyrights. We're talking about your song, your band's song. Okay, dig it. Now, you should also know that once you create your song or your poem or your rap, that the moment you write it down, the very moment you write it down or you record it, that it automatically belongs to you, that you are the owner, that you have every legal claim to do what we said before, sell it, license it, will it to your children, trade it for a root beer, float <laughs> to your buddy Roger or whatever you want to do with that song, it is yours to do so. And once your song is in a fixed form, you are the owner and you are immediately protected. I hope that I nailed that down for you. It's yours, okay? So you don't really need to register your copyright, but you should know that registration has absolute advantages because legally it establishes that you are the actual owner of the song. Get it? Okay? You don't need to register it. It's already yours, but in a legal situation such as infringement, you want to make sure that you are protected. And also, again, legally, registering your copyright establishes the date of the work, 
okay? It establishes, I wrote the song on this day. And this is important because say you created a song in 2000, okay? Meaning that you recorded it, you placed it in a fixed form. You may have even played it out a couple times, you know, but but you did not release it to uh, any streaming company until say last week, but someone across town actually recorded it they released it in 2017, and their their uh, performance of the song came after you. Now, if you had no copyright registration uh, that was dated in that date of creation of two, 2000, then you would not have a legal leg to stand on, okay? Because you copyrighted it in 2000, or I, let's say, again, you created it in 2000, you did not copyright it. Someone took it, they recorded it, they released it, and they copyrighted it where you're out of luck. But even if you did not release it, okay, you get it? You didn't release it, but uh, you copyrighted it, you can release it whenever you want. And if they take it from you or, you know, use it without your permission, you can say, hey, this was mine back in 2000. So that's what that's what we're saying so the registration of the date proves that you wrote the tune that you filed the tune accordingly and that you own the tune now perhaps that person heard the tune at one of your shows or he or she came by one of your rehearsals or whatever the point is you know you're having an official certificate with the library of congress helps your case in court and you may not always win Okay, I don't want to go down any rabbit trails. You know, we can we can follow those, but not today. <laughs> you know, uh, you may not always win, but suffice it to say that your certificate from the Library of Congress and that absolutely helps. Which which is also the most important reason to protect your work by filing it with the Library of Congress, and it is because it is the only. Listen. Listen closely, it is the only way you can legally prove the work belongs to you. Yep, I know you got it. I know you understood it. I tried to drill it in, right? There is no other substitute for copyright. Not the poor man's copyright, not mailing a letter to yourself, or either filing with some other organizations that tell you that they will protect your work, and some of them may do a good job. Listen, they may do a good job by even issuing takedown notices to others on your behalf. But if you want to be bona fide and solidly legal, filing with the Library of Congress is the only recourse that will hold up in court. <laughs> yeah, Jerry, you're preaching, okay? I just want to make sure you know that. Also, please understand that your song can be registered with the Library of Congress in several different ways, but in this episode, I will only outline three of them. And the first one is the most basic, and this is through Form PA, and PA stands for Performing Arts, and it covers the music, lyrics, and melody. Now, without going super deep, you cannot copyright a beat or a chord progression or time signature or the key of the song. But I want to make an exception as we get into the next form that you will have to or should register as a copyright owner, and that is the SR copyright. That means the copyright and sound recording. And this sound recording, which as we said again, it's not just you writing down the lyrics on a paper, but 
you've actually taken the song into a studio or, you know, um, turned on your phone, <laughs> you know, or whatever you've done, and and you've recorded the music, the lyrics, and the melody. Um, and, you know, you've, you've preserved it either on vinyl or hard drive or CD, whatever format that you would use to release to the public, you can copyright that recording. You can upload that file to the Library of Congress's website. Now, as I stated before, you cannot copyright a beat. You cannot copyright a chord progression, but you can copyright the recording of that beat. Can you dig it? Or, of course, the chords. It's the recording that makes it a legal copyright filing, the recording of that beat. So any drummer can sit down and do the same beat, okay? But what makes that unique for that copyright is the recording and who owns the recording, okay? That, that is why the sampling of a snare drum or a horn riff can be copyright infringement if somebody takes that because the recording itself is protected. Now, this is primarily where record labels come into play, and that is if you have a label deal, be it a major or indie deal, depending upon your contract, they, the recording label, may own or control your sound recording copyright because they actually paid for it. Now, if you paid for it, of course, if it's your label, it's yours. <laughs> so make sure you copyright it. That's why you're fouling the PA copyright and you're fouling the SR copyright. And the third form uh, that we'll discuss here is that of copywriting your video, which is uh, the form you will use. It's just a standard form for motion pictures. And so, you know, I, I would, if you're putting out videos uh, that contain your music, your song, it's yours. I would just make it all official and record that. I mean, copyright that package. Hope you get that. Now, there are also obviously copyrights for literary works, as we said before, if you're a writer or a poet, uh, for graphic works, for your CD cover, etc. But, you know, we're just going to stick to the song today. But go to uh, copyright.gov and get all the information absolutely on copyrights. And let me quickly note here, too, that trademarks and patents are different than copyrights. Okay, you may you, you may want to trademark your band's name, which is an excellent idea. Or you may want to file a patent for an original invention or an improvement on your instrument, but that's not the subject for today either. Again, we're just honing in on your song and how to correctly protect it and to distribute it appropriately with respect to publishing. Now, before we move on, and remember, we're not being exhaustive here, but we should mention a couple more things like fair use in copyright, which is the ability for someone to actually use your song or just a portion of it in another work without actually violating the copyright. Now, one of the paths of least resistant is if you know, little Eddie, the eighth grader, wanted to use a few lines of your melody for his book report or documentary on modern music. So there is the educational route, although there also are a lot of rabbit trails we can go down when we take a look at fair use. But Frank Moray's, again, very excellent article, he provides other examples where fair use may be argued for or against. And the most important factor is related to context, not necessarily 
how much of the song you use, like say from that snare drum sample we talked about, to the work in its entirety, but why and how you use it. Like say in a parody, like Weird Al Yankovic. Do you remember him? Uh, he did Michael Jackson's Beat It, you know, he made an actual career out of um, comping on Michael Jackson with some parodies. And he did other people as well, but not as not as great as he did Michael Jackson. But there are specific fair use guidelines which must be heeded. So be careful. Now, the length of the copyright currently extends to the life of the original creator plus 70 years after his or her death, okay? And there are other factors involved depending on the original date of creation. And let me say now what I did not say before. Everything I've talked about is pertinent to the United States of America, all right? Songwriters from other countries must comply with their nation of origin, okay? So everything we're talking about, uh, primarily talking about the USA and welcome all of you international listeners, but please check with your country of origin as to the terms and the agreements and all of these things we've discussed so far. If your country of origin has an agreement with the United States and you live outside the U.S., then absolutely your work is protected. And uh, your work is protected in other countries if you have a bilateral agreement with the USA. Now, I have not personally heard of anyone uh, in the U.S. or nor have I heard of anyone receiving a notice that their songs, or to make it personal, that my songs, since filing copyrights some 30 years ago, were not protected internationally. I've, I've not received any notices like that at all. Still, you can always check. Additionally, there are topics that I just won't address here uh, in this episode, like the DMCA, which stands for the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and issues like takedown notices on YouTube and other platforms. We know these things go on and exist, but uh, we can venture down those rabbit trails on some other day, you know. But I just want to make sure you have the nuts and bolts as to what you need now. Finally, I will say that copyright is not a trademark, which is how you protect your band's name, right? Or your brand, you know, if you create a brand or a patent, which would be how you would protect a piece of gear that you built or say you improved upon your instrument in some way and built something for that, then you could file for a patent. But the copyright is the copyright for the song. All right, now let's turn our attention to publishing. Okay, now, if you remember just one thing about this entire episode <laughs> is that your song is the only thing that matters in music life. All right, do you get that? Your song is the only thing that matters in music life because if there are no songs, okay, there is no music industry, period. Therefore, the person or company who owns or controls your publishing is the most important person or component of your team. Therefore, the absolutely most important activity you must concern yourself with after writing the doggone tune is to consider the publishing of your tune. All right? You want to copyright it. 
you want to concern yourself with the publishing. Before you teach the song to the band, before you perform it in public, before you release it on CD or any streaming platform, make sure that you understand the scope of and apply the metrics of publishing. Understand that your song is given a value of 200%. Understand that. 200%. 100% which belongs to the songwriter or songwriters, plural, and 100% to the publisher or publishers, plural. Okay? Obviously, each of these percentages can be subdivided if there are any collaborators on each side. So if you can imagine that you're standing on either side of a fence, okay, a fence is in the middle and one guy on one side is the songwriter and the lady on the other side of the fence is the publisher or that same scenario, you have a bunch of different guys on one side who are the songwriters, collaborators, and a bunch of <laughs> ladies on the other side who are the publishing entities. And again, or we can simplify that just a bit more and say that you and your band are one and the same. You're both uh, the songwriters and the publishers, and we're gonna unpack that. Now, let's just keep it simple. Say that you and your buddy wrote a song, okay, and it's 50-50, and or there were three of you, you know, so then that's 33 and a third percent, you know, each one getting a third of the song. And of course, if there are four writers, it's obviously 25 percent. And this is what each person owns of the song for their contributions. Now, each person can and in many ways should claim their portion of the publishing, which establishes not only their copyright, but also grants them permission to distribute or sell or leave their portion of the song as an inheritance to someone else. Publishing, in a nutshell, is the exploitation of your composition. It is the publisher's responsibility to send the song out to the public in a variety of ways, be it streaming or social media, radio, satellite, you get the idea. Now, interestingly enough about this word exploitation, because uh, in some contexts, to exploit someone or something is not a good thing. In the context of the song, to exploit the song is a very great thing. That's what you want to do. Now, as to exploitation, you, the publisher, has this responsibility to exploit this song in as many formats and on as many platforms as possible and to collect the income from these various sources that we've just mentioned in the form of royalties. Now, remember, just to keep it simple, if there are four of you, you should own 25% of that publishing revenue as well as 25% of the writer's revenue also, all right? So now the publisher's responsibility can be assigned to an outside party because the territory of the publisher's responsibility is the entire world, <laughs> okay? It's global. That's what you're looking at, collecting royalties from the world in which your song was played or sold. And also, your responsibility is to collect from said world. <laughs> and this is a huge task, so you must have some sort of administrative assistance to help you. Now, the first thing you do is to file your song with a performance rights society like ASCAP or BMI. 
again, if you are in the USA. Now, there's a third uh, PRO, Performance Rights Society, and that's called CZAC, but CZAC is invitation only. And you can go to their website to find out, I guess, how to be invited, right? But check your country of origin for your PRO. Now, basically, what your Performance Rights Society monitors is the airwaves of radio, TV, and film to track how many times your song is aired, and they pay you for those plays minus their admin fees, right? Now, there is a ton of discussion on which PRO to join, and the conversation goes on and on about which is better or worse. And as a songwriter, you cannot join both. And generally, as a publisher, you can only belong to one as well. However, there is a way for a publisher to belong to both ASCAP and BMI. Big budget publishers have been doing it for years. And yours truly, Jerry B, the entree musician, I have followed suit. Now, this is totally legal, totally ethical, and it adheres to their rules, okay? But if you're interested in knowing how to do this, I'll make a suggestion. <laughs> First time I've done this, but kindly make a donation of $20 or more to my cash app, which is located in the show notes, and I'll be happy to walk you through the process. If you're interested and you think that this is going to benefit you for being a, a publisher on both ASCAP and BMI, just type in royalties in the cash app memo and uh, me and you will have a uh, personal conversation. Now, back to filing your song with the PRO, which is simple enough. You'll be able to do that online. And I'm suggesting too that you also seek help from Sound Exchange or Music Reports or any other such entity which could help you with monitoring and collecting further royalties. Now, the difference between Sound Exchange and ASCAP or, or BMI or CZAC is that Sound Exchange collects and distributes royalties for the featured artist and the sound recording copyright owner, where your PRO, BMI, ASCAP, they collect and distribute for the songwriter, composer, and publisher of the musical composition. Okay? Understand that? Your PRO, BMI, ASCAP, they collect on behalf of the writers and publishers. Sound Exchange collects on behalf of the artist and the label. So you definitely want to avail yourself to the services of Sound Exchange and other such entities. So you research them carefully. Now, if you happen to be one and the same in all of these, if you are the writer, you are the publisher, you are the artist, and you are the label, then definitely do your homework. Make sure you file with each, all right? And do it as soon as possible. Now, let's get back to those percentages. And again, this alone, <laughs> this alone could be another episode, but I will be brief here. Maybe we will do a separate episode down the road sometime. But again, saying that there are four of you, four writers on this song, it may be easier to assign the responsibility to an outside publisher to do the work alone, or perhaps four outside publishers. It just depends, especially if two of the writers are ASCAP and two of them are BMI or any combination thereof, you know, because 
Perhaps in, in certain cases, the writers just want to concern themselves with creating the music and letting someone else handle all of the admin work. Or if in our case, you are in a band like the Hilarious Bonfire and you're collaborating together, you wanna to make certain that if the drummer who wrote and shares in 25% of the song wishes to take on these added publishing responsibilities, whether or not he does them himself or he hires a team to help him, he does deserve more than 25% of the publishing revenue, which means an equal diminished share from the remaining three writers. For example, the writers decide that for his duties, he receives 50% of the publishing share because he's doing this added work. And the other three writers, while they each maintain their 25% songwriter share, they only receive 16% of the publisher's share. Do you dig? So he's acquiring extra revenue doing the admin work of a publisher, although they still share 25% equally in the songwriter's share. Now, as an aside, if you, as a songwriter or a group of songwriters, sign over your songs to an outside publisher and you sign them over to them outright, do know that they, not you, own the copyright. Hence, you are the writer only and you will only receive the writer's share unless, of course, you are a superstar songwriter who can negotiate far better terms. They will file and control the copyright. They will receive the full publisher's share and will have every right to either sell off the ownership of that song, uh, lease it out, you know, license it. All of these things are in their control in the future. And that's just the way that is. Now, you will still receive your songwriter earnings but you will have zero say in the song's future unless you buy it back. I mean, if you don't want it in a particular commercial, tough. If you don't want that song in a particular movie, tough, because you are not in control of the copyright anymore. Okay, remember the awful situation where, again, uh, Michael Jackson purchased the Beatles catalog? You remember the contention there? Uh, or the fact that EMI, who used to be the world's largest music publisher at the time, I think this was 2004, they owned the entire Motown catalog. And guess who bought them? Sony. So I'm telling you, as I said before, your song and the billion others out there make the music industry go round, right? It's not your band. It's not your brand. It's not your incredible fancy guitar solo. It's your song which makes the difference, okay? So make your song absolutely incredible. Now, the additional ways your song earns royalty income is through mechanicals. So mechanical royalties, which is the actual sale of your song, uh, which back in the day used to be records. Yeah, yeah, eight tracks, <laughs> cassettes, CD sales, which morphed into downloads and is now almost exclusively streaming. 
Another royalty income stream is through sync licensing, which is a vastly growing market and allows your compositions to get into film, TV, video games, and other multimedia. So definitely explore that. We're going to talk about sync licensing coming up uh, in another series that we're going to do later. Now, there are also licenses for sampling, which most beat makers make a lucrative career out of. And uh, there's also printing of sheet music, which is not so common among popular music nowadays, but it still has some life in the jazz and classical genres. So as a band, there is a ton of stuff to think through. And this is why you have those eagerly anticipated band meetings, right? Those conversations and writing sessions where these subjects are discussed openly and transparently. And even while you're in the writing sessions, you are putting the song into form and together you're having that open dialogue about who did what, you know, and how it will be handled in the process. So everyone and everything is on the up. Now, if you are an original band like the Hilarious Bonfire, as we talked about before, and I, I primarily think that most of you are, and you value your own unique music, and you wish to create a valuable catalog of worth and of legacy, then you absolutely need to pay strict, close, detailed attention to this facet of your career. Performance income from your stage shows come and go, right? Streaming income, we can all agree, is a big, huge joke that needs to be repealed and reformed. Absolutely. But other forms of earning income from the songs that you write and the avenues that are available to you should be among your highest priorities. Now, I hope that this has helped. I trust that you enjoyed this episode. I trust that you learned a few things that you may not have known. And I really do enjoy the opportunity to share such information with you. I'm working on a course right now in which I will be diving much deeper into these and other topics to help you secure success in your life and in your career. So stay tuned for that. If you would like more information, you can contact me directly at the entree musician at gmail.com or you can text me at 330-718-JERE. That's 718-JERE and the area code is 330. Visit the entreemusician.com, of course. Join our community and avail yourselves to the many resources that we have there. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to like it, subscribe to it, share, hit the bell. <laughs> However, this is coming to you. Tell everybody you know. Tell 36 people you don't know. Hey, are you listening to The Entree Musician? Because this is news that you can absolutely use. And right now, if you go to theentreemusician.com, you can download my free ebook, 50 Engaging Ways to Turn Your Fans into Family, just by signing up. Want you to do that. And absolutely, we graciously receive donations of any amount. The Cash app is available in the show notes here. And your kindness helps us to keep up the great work for entree musicians everywhere. And we appreciate your support. Thank you very much in advance. And so we're wrapping up. We're going to have one more episode. And then we're going. our final episode is going to be like uh, the summary <laughs> of everything that we've discussed so far. So... 
uh, we want to make sure that we're providing valuable content to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician, but you know what? So are you. We will see you next time. God bless. <laughs>